Welcome to Creatively Human, a podcast for online business owners and creatives that goes beyond the work and dives deep into why we do what we do, the struggles and wins we face along the way, and how we fit it all into the kind of life we want to live. I'm your host, Ruth Poundwhite, and I help creatives grow their businesses in ways that fit around their life and values. Hi, and welcome to the first ever episode. Today, I'm chatting to Ray Dodd, who talks a lot about the incredible journey that she's been on with her businesses over the last couple of years. Ray has personally taught me so much about being visible online, and she also has a real knack for getting to the heart of what's holding you back from playing big in your online business. So I really, really hope that you'll enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Ray. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Can you start by talking a bit about what it is that you do and how you came to do it? Well, it's actually just slightly changed. So I, for the last year, I have been a motherhood and business coach. And that's kind of been evolving. And I'll talk about how I got to that in a second. But that's kind of been evolving, obviously, for the whole year that I've been doing it. And so I've just, what I did do is I was running a Facebook group called Finding the Balance, Nailing Motherhood and Business is what it was called. And I was called a motherhood and business coach. Now I've recently changed that to be, um, I keep getting it wrong because it's new, but my, um, my group is now called Finding Your Space in Business and Beyond. And I'm calling myself a completely made up title of a take, taking up space mentor. Um, so it's really like it's it it sounds like it's really changed, but actually it's something I've been doing the whole year really. Um, and I'd got to the place with the motherhood stuff where it just I felt like there were so many women who don't have children yet or aren't going to have children through choice or not um, that I wanted to work with as well. Um, that it felt a bit like I was stopping myself working with people I wanted to work with. So that's changed um, and it feels really good. Yeah, it, it seems right for, based on obviously my experience of what you do. But yeah. can you talk a bit about what taking up space means and why yes. it's so important? So for me, and it's a bit like, you know, in the Matrix when they take that pill, I can <laughs> never remember which pill it is. Yeah. But it's a bit of one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, it's a bit like taking the green or the red pill. I'm never sure which or blue. I don't know. But um, <laughs> it's a really helpful metaphor. Um, but basically taking up space is just owning the space that you um, that was created for you to have in the world, essentially. And it's something that is particularly it's not exclusive to women, but it's particularly clear with women in that the example I often use is man spreading, you know, on the train when people yep. like, well, men generally spread their legs right out. And or like, I remember being on a plane a while ago, and a, and a guy bashed right into me. And I was and I said, I was, I was just sat still. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he didn't give a monkeys about how like he smacked me with his suitcase. But I had apologized. And it's all those things where men, just particularly white middle class men have a real, um, what is the word? Just they just know that they don't have to question that they are deserving of a certain amount of space in the world. Yeah. Where like women entitlement. Entitlement, that's the word. Whereas women are constantly trying to shrink themselves, you know, and I saw a lovely I can't remember lady that did it, but a poem on Instagram. I'll try and find her name while I'm saying this because I want to say who what she's called. I think it was Annie Annie Rid Riddow. I don't know how to say that, but she's the mm -hmm. editor of The Early Hour. And she did this really lovely poem 
um, or not so lovely, but very insightful poem about the fact that even when we're shaving our legs, we're reducing the space we take up in the world. <laughs> um, like, you know, we're, we're constantly being told to be on diets. We are, it's not ladylike to be loud and opinionated. It's, um, you know, so there's just so many bits in which women are asked to shrink. And when, even when we are opinionated and loud, that's judged as you know not the way to be and women who are opinionated or or offensive or any of those things get a far harder time than men who do a similar thing because they take up more space women not wearing makeup takes up more space in the world because it makes you stand out Mm -hmm. every time women stand out they take up more space and they are much more likely to get judgment so that's one aspect of it but I know that that plays into everything we do in our businesses, in our relationships, our friendships, our motherhood, in that we are constantly having to fight against this system that wants to contain us into a certain space. And it's harder for women to break out of those rules. Um, And I did a video on this this morning in my Facebook, actually, and I said something along the lines of, you know, suggestions become laws to a lot of women. Like, you know, you, you say, oh, it's a good idea to do this. And I work with so many women who are like, so I have to do it this way. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, you don't. And that same pressure, while a lot of men absolutely feel the effect of that, they definitely do. And I'm married to one of them Mm -hmm. who is definitely impacted by a lot of that patriarchal noise. But it's not quite the same for them in terms of there are lots of men who also aren't impacted by that in the same way. Yeah, definitely. So taking up space is acknowledging that there is something that um, a, a space in the world that only you can fill um, and I wrote again, I wrote something in my group and I said, your space is as deserving as you as you are of it. So some often it's something that you're a bit like, oh, my God, I can't believe I would be lucky enough to get to do that. That's amazing. But that would feel really good and exciting. And work isn't meant to feel really good and exciting. So I probably shouldn't do that because it's meant to feel hard work and like a slog. And, you know, or you're meant to hustle and, you know all of those different um, catchphrases and stereotypical things that we say. So you're, yeah, that's a really long explanation, isn't it? But your space, I should probably work on my elevator pitch. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, your space, that place where you find ease and flow in what you do. Yeah. That's the briefest way I can describe it. So how has this played out in what you do? Well, I was, so until I had children, I, or my first, um, baby stan i really believe that i would find my space even though i didn't know that terminology in motherhood Hmm. so i did i mean i got out of university it took me a while to do university took me five years to do a three-year degree but that's another story and then i um became a dental receptionist (laughs) because i just answered an advert in the paper because it was the olden days and that's what you did then And um, I worked as a dental receptionist and that was awful. And then to get out of that, I got a job at a company that my brother was working at as a receptionist. And I just did jobs that like they were fine. And I worked my way up in that company. I think I was there for like seven years, which is one of those real classic examples. Like the job was fine. The people were nice. But you can I I could have just stayed there. I can see how that would have happened um, because it wasn't offensive enough to be problematic. But equally, I didn't like it either just because it didn't really um, float my boat in any way. And then I took voluntary redundancy from there, moved to Kent and got pregnant all very quickly and um, and thought, 
you know, believed the Pinterest lie that I was going to be a really lovely creative mum who just wanted to just spend all her time staring into her child's eyes. And then that wasn't true. (laughs) (laughs) I was a bit like, this isn't what I thought. I'm quite bored. (laughs) Oh, Um, and but I still didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. None at all. So I had um, had a like not the worst birth, but not a great birth. And the thing that I'd found really hard was breastfeeding. It was just excruciatingly painful. I can't explain. And I um, I think because the birth hadn't been great, I became incredibly determined to breastfeed this child. Like I was just going to do it. Yeah. So I was biting on muslins to um, not to make sure I didn't scream while I was breastfeeding. Like it was incredibly painful. And I ended up, this is relevant, by the way, <laughs> I ended up going to see a lactation consultant. And she helped me out. And then she mentioned becoming a peer supporter, which is like somebody who volunteers to help women with breastfeeding. But in order to do that, you've got to do six weeks training. And I did that. And I just was utterly fascinated by what women's bodies were capable of, like completely enthralled by how magical our bodies are. And also shocked that I didn't know that beforehand. Um, I learned about birth. I learned about breastfeeding. And I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. Like, we're amazing. And so I then trained to become a breastfeeding counsellor. And I then from that still wanted to do something within birth. And so I trained to become a hypnobirthing teacher. And that's when I learned about how amazing. So I was kind of learned about all these amazing things about our bodies. And then in hypnobirthing, I learned about our brains. And it opened like a door to me. And I was suddenly like, whoa, like we, we are um, like, again, we're amazing. And people don't know about this. And even on my train journey to um, my training, in London, I remember texting some of my friends and being like, we should have hypnobirthing for mums. Like, we need this brain stuff just for being mums, like for surviving all of this stuff. So even then, it was in my head. And then I ended up taking over the hypnobirthing business that I'd been working for, and running that and I was using loads of the mindset stuff to help me run my business, like I'd never run a business before. Um, And then I started being like, hmm, mums and business and hypnobirthing techniques all kind of merged into one. Um, And so that was kind of how I ended up finding myself being like, like all these little elements came together. And I loved hypnobirthing in lots of ways. I loved working with the families. I used to love it. Dads always came in a bit, not always, often a bit like, why am I here? What's going on? Like this, this sounds like hippie nonsense. And um, and I thought I dismissed it with my first pregnancy because I thought it was hippie nonsense, expensive hippie nonsense is what I thought it was. And um, I used to love the moment where I'd start going on into the science and so many of the dads would just sit mm. up in their seat. And I was like, ah, I've got you. Um, because suddenly you demystify something like an affirmation, which sounds so woolly. Yeah. And then you explain the way and that sport. And it sounds so stereotypical, but the way that like sports um, athletes and things like that use affirmations constantly and that a lot of mindset work is actually just sports science with a different name. Um, So yeah, so that was, I kind of realized that while I loved what I did, still wasn't quite right, the hypnobirthing. I didn't see my husband really, like because he worked a lot of weekends as well as in the week and we would just swap the kids over. Um, I was working weekends, I was missing the kids um, and it just... It was a slog for me. I, I know people who are smashing it at hypnobirthing, but it's that thing where you find your flow in your space. And I think I say on my about page that it was my zone of expertise, but not my zone of genius. Yeah, and I love that. And it must be yeah. sometimes really hard to 
realize that because if it is your zone of expertise you think oh I'm good at this Mm. why why am I not feeling it's quite right yeah I think I just knew that it wasn't it's something I talk about all the time I just knew that it wasn't quite right and I always talk with my clients about tweaking your business for where it just isn't sitting well for you at that time and I what I did is I had this other idea um and I remember talking to a, a coach not the coach I work with now, but a different coach and saying like, oh, I just, I think the thing is, if I look at this idea, it's all I'll want to do. If I look at this kind of motherhood business coaching thing. And she was like, did you just hear what you just said? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, I probably should do the thing that is all I want to do, shouldn't I? Um, But it was that safety thing of like, yeah, it was a slog to earn the money that I was earning for hypnobirthing in that, you know, you only had nine months to find the people. Yeah. and then, and you know, and you have to get six of them on a group course, you know, and you you need at least two to make any money at all. All of that, all of the nitty gritty behind it. Um, but I did also like it, and I was earning money for it, and I was filling up my courses, you know, relatively easily by that point. So it felt really silly to do like. Then silly is probably the best word. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like you're being really flighty. And again, such gendered language comes into it straight away. You know, it was a real, I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, I should make this business work before I move on to another business. Like, what am I doing? That's interesting, actually. It just made me realise how we have this kind of view of the entrepreneurial man Mm, who goes from business to business. Yeah. You know, that's that's considered to be a good thing. But yeah, Yeah. yeah. he takes a calculated (laughs) risk. Yeah. Is you know, you know, women are, you know, and you do get men that, that do that thing, like serial starters of businesses. But I was talking about starting my second business. <laughs> yeah. And I was already like, I'm so flighty. You know, I just can't, can't commit to anything. I don't finish things. And I, I have had this story, which I think is actually gone, which is nice, um, about being really lazy. Um, because of stuff that happened at school and at uni, like saying it took me five years to finish uni, um, that I just don't, you know, I don't finish things. I'm lazy. I run away from things. Um, But it was the scary, one of the scariest things I've done starting this business. And and it was even scarier because for a while I ran that. I was also, I'd created a, um, something called the Mindful Breastfeeding School, which is amazing, by the way. And I don't run anymore, but a lovely lady called Anna LaGrange runs and is amazing. An online course of that. And I was doing the the motherhood and business coaching. So I was running three and I was a voluntary breastfeeding counsellor. So I was doing all these things and I had to let them go one by one and just completely bank on this new business because it was getting too busy not to. So that was did you ever come to the point where you kind of had to just take that leap, take the risk and just go all in? Yeah, I was I went on a retreat to Gozo, a business retreat. Um, and I remember sitting around and we were the, um, Susie, who's my coach was asking us what, what we we're going to do when we got back. And I was like, well, I have to stop doing hypnobirthing. And actually I didn't have anyone booked in for, I had clients booked in. So that was September. I had people booked in for October, but not for November. I think like randomly, normally you'd have one or two booked in for ages before. Yeah. So I was like, so I just have to stop. So my last, like when I get back, that'll be my last one. And it was really scary like to do that. But equally, as soon as I'd done it, the mental space I had, and I'm obsessed with mental space, <laughs> I suddenly was like, oh, my God. It's like I decluttered a load of yeah, my brain. Yeah. Um, and it used to be like I could have sat you down like a year, a year or two ago. I could have sat you down and taught you a whole hypnobirthing class off the top of my head. I could not remember most of it now. Like it just left my head. Um, I retain the stuff I still use. But I wouldn't suggest anyone came to me for hypnobirthing advice <laughs> anymore. 
I guess the risk you took ended up being totally worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. And it's one of those things that I've really learned about business is I think I, I don't even know what I used to think, but I just know that sometimes you've just got to stare what you're doing in the eye and keep going. And I certainly in the early days, I launched things that didn't work at all. <laughs> um, I launched an e-course. I feel like I launched two e-courses, but I can never remember what the second one was. Um, and then I also launched a group course, a group coaching program, which I got enough people could have filled that, but I self-sabotaged on it and kind of ran away from it. So I certainly, there was definitely things that, um, like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, everything I touch works at the point where I left, but in leaping, it meant that it had to. So I just kept tweaking until things kind of started to work well, I guess. It's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's easy to look back and think, oh yeah, it's all gone really well. But at the time when you're putting things out there, Mm. um, whether people aren't signing up for it or whether they are, and that's what's freaking you out. I mean, it's hard to get through that. That, Mm. At that point, I suppose, a lot of people might just want to hide away and give up. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's why I have a coach, essentially. Yes. That's why I invest in my own support network, because I know that I can't really do that. I mean, I can't anyway. I'm the person who earns the money in the family. So like in our household, so I have to do things. And sometimes that feels a little bit, what is the word, suffocating, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, I, I, I am so clear on what I want to do and the women that I want to work with that I just couldn't not do it um, because I know the impact it has. And that means so much to me um, that it's just, yeah, it's not something I can walk away from really. Mm-hmm. So just going back to what you said about investing in a coach, was mm. that really scary and difficult to do mm. that in those early days? Yeah, I was still difficult now. Every time I pay her, I feel <laughs> a bit sick. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. It was, I remember I came back from the retreat I mentioned and I'd agreed to do this uh, without speaking to my husband, which is not something I normally do. I'd agreed to do this coaching thing. I mean, I always say to my clients, because a lot of people have issues with their partners, not wanting them to do certain things. And I always say, look, if it's coming out of your business money, it's your decision. If it's coming out of joint money, that's different. But if it's coming out of your business money, you know, you don't ask your partner what paper you're going to buy or what, you know, about all these different things. So it's interesting to me that often women feel they need to ask their male partner's um, advice. Um, But anyway, so I came home and I decided to do that. And it was really, um, yeah, it was really, really scary because I was investing quite a lot of money into it. And, um, and my husband was like, you know, I just think maybe you need to like slow down a bit and he's completely changed his tune now, but maybe you need to just like consolidate what you're doing. And I was like, I don't think you understand. I don't think I can do this without a coach. I actually like, because I'd been without a coach for a month beforehand and I just find, found myself finding it really, really hard to like my the thoughts in my head went round and round there was no one to kind of go to when I was feeling freaked out that understood what I was talking about um so it was scary to invest in it and there's been times where I thought oh I'd have that much more money if I wasn't but equally I don't think I'd have the money in the first place if I was yeah exactly so and also I, 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 I really like that I need a coach so much because it shows that I'm practicing what I preach essentially yeah you know I I I I completely understand the need for a coach myself so um and I don't think there's any shame in that I find it um not you know coaches can portray themselves however they want to but I think it's really important that 
we are honest about our humanity and don't act like we don't need the support too. Yeah, and I think it it helps people actually relate to you and learn better because yes. they know that you're not perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, exactly. And you know, it's it's also it's so tricky doing this business stuff. Like so many people talk about it being a roller coaster, and it absolutely is. And if you've got someone up in front of you going, "Well, I'm not on that roller coaster. It's completely even for me. I always feel fine." Every time you're in that place, you're going to be like, "Oh my god, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Why don't I feel like that?" So I always try and communicate like like me too. I'm in that place too. You know, it is a lot. Like you say, I think it's important to communicate that sometimes doing well is really, really scary. That was such a shock to me. I was like, but it's going well. Yeah, Why am I yeah. so freaked out? It, it is just a, sometimes more scary than when it's not going well. It's crazy. Mm. <laughs> yep. Also, um, one of the things that you do really well is you're just so visible. You're on your Facebook group. You're going live all the time. And I mean, you seem like such a natural at it, but do you find that scary? Not anymore. I did though. So I started going live in um, my, so when I was a hypnobirthing teacher, we had a group um, for women like who are pregnant in Kent. And um, I used to go live in there. And that, when I first started doing that, that was quite scary. Um, I think a real turning point for me was one day I was doing a video I'm not even sure what it was about. It was either about induction or breastfeeding. It must have been breastfeeding because I felt like I really knew about it. And um, I remember at the time, I didn't really have much childcare. So I think Stan used to go for two mornings a week to a um, childminder and had a really little baby. So Gus must have been asleep and Stan needed me to change the telly for him. And so I took my laptop from my study in here downstairs and I just was changing the channel while I was talking and just really, really being myself because I was like, what else can I do? Like, I, I've got a child here. He's interrupted me. I can freak out or I can just go with the flow and I can keep him calm and I can just keep talking to people as if I'm having a conversation with my friends. Like, you know, when you've got um, got mum friends around and your kids are running riot, but you somehow manage to have a kind yeah. of some <laughs> form of conversation. So I kind of just channeled that. And I got loads of feedback about that video of like oh it's so nice you're so yourself and even people talking to friends of mine who'd seen it because this was a local group and they were like she's just so herself when she's doing it and it was a real light bulb moment of like huh that's what people respond to they're getting like a snapshot I always think of through the keyhole do you remember through the keyhole I used to love that yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and how much we loved seeing into people's lives and now we do that all the time with story like a program like that now wouldn't actually be that great because we see inside celebrities homes via their Instagram all the time but um, yeah, I just wanted, I, I kind of realized that I didn't have to pretend to be anyone I wasn't. And that took away a lot of fear around the videos. Yeah. And now they're really just my opinions and my thoughts. So I don't, it, I can't really get it wrong. Like someone might pick up on it and go, I don't really agree with that. And that's fine. But I'm not suggesting facts anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because I'm always worried about getting things wrong about yeah. what people think. Yeah, exactly. And I often like, you know, my videos, I often don't know things. And I've got one client called Kitty who knows about loads of different, um, like she's really got on research things. And there's a few words that I always forget. And I'm always like, Kitty, are you watching? <laughs> What's that called? And just kind of acknowledge that I'm not very good at remembering that stuff. Or like I did earlier, I forget words a lot. It's because I've not slept for six years. But, you know, like, and I just acknowledge that rather than try and hide those supposed, I mean, it's really not a flaw to forget words. No. But, you know, we can feel like because it's on video, it's got to be perfect. And actually, 
people respond better when it isn't. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you found that being on video, speaking more about your opinions has made you kind of more confident in yourself? Um, I've always been quite confident about my opinions, I would say to a fault. Um, and this that's partly why my friends were laughing at me about monetizing being <laughs> me. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's made me more confident to share that with people that, um, yeah, I mean, it has done, but but not in real life. I see. Yeah. So I would struggle still. I, I'm more scared of sharing an opinion in real life than I am in sharing an opinion online, like in a video form. Mm. I still am not a massive fan of being opinionated on in a like I won't get into uh, online arguments. Mm. Um, so it's made me more like in my own safe area. Yes. But uh, like if, uh, you know, if I was with my husband's family and there was a debate on, I don't really get involved massively because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just a bit like, well, I don't really. But I know that what I'm doing with my with this stuff is it's my people. Yeah. You know, they're my I know that what I'm saying has an impact for them. And I always try and say it from a place of kindness. Um, whereas in my previous life, I would have said it like when I was younger, my 20s and particularly in my teens. I would have said it from a place of wanting to be right. And so I mm. always um, try to make sure that that's not what I'm doing. It's not about being right. It's just about sharing stuff. And um, I, I really like that you're really confident in in what you say and you do share it from a place of kindness. Mm. One of the things that you often talk about is how the way that people respond to your business, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't change the way you personally feel about yourself. Mm. Your self-worth, a fixed fixed thing. Yes. Well, I, I should slightly tweak that because <laughs> it does affect how I feel about myself Right. Yeah. when people say that. But what it doesn't affect is how much I'm worth. That makes sense. That's slight yeah, difference. Yeah. So I always describe self-worth as like a concrete boulder in my head. Those like very, you know, those things that block off roads mm-hmm. um, because it's like immovable. It doesn't change. It's just it, it is what it is. What changes is what how we look at it. So if someone is is has a criticism about something I've said or some a way I run my business or the way I look or anything like that, it absolutely affects how I look at my self-worth in that for some time but what it doesn't change is actually what my self-worth is so I do feel those things um I definitely feel that stuff it's something that I find it really hard to be wrong I am not very good at that at all Mm. like I really struggle with that so when if someone points either they think I'm wrong or maybe they're right and I am wrong I mean maybe I just give that a slight chance of happening. <laughs> I um, I do definitely look at that boulder and in a different way and start seeing chips in it and thinking, oh, see, you're an imposter, you're this, you're that. I have all of those feelings, 100%. But I also remind myself, Ray, you know that you're not worth any less because of this. You're worth as much now as when you're feeling at your very best. Um, you know, you've actually not changed. It's just how you're looking at yourself that's yeah. changed. Yeah. And you brought yeah. up an important point there of how, you know, it's easy for me to say that you look like you've got you've got it sorted. Mm. But actually, it's a constant practice recognizing the stories that you're telling yourself and yeah. and telling yourself that they're not necessarily true. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean they're not they're like this is the thing. Like I think that we make everything up in lots of ways it's just whether or not that story serves us at that time Mm. the amount of things we actually don't have adequate information about to make a full story 
about is huge, you know, but one of the things people often say to me is like, how did you go into your group live every day and not worry about what people were thinking? And I always say, well, (laughs) I had this realization that I actually didn't know what they were thinking. So rather than decide that they were thinking bad things, like if I get no response from people, you know, people often describe that as like online tumbleweed. Actually, I haven't had a bad response either. So I'm going to choose to believe that there's only been favorable responses and not let myself go down the route of the negative ones. Now, that doesn't always work, but either story we're making up. So if our brain is powerful enough to make up a whole convoluted story about how people think this, this and this about us, and they're probably talking about this and they, you know, they must imagine I'm this, this and this. Why not use that same power to think positive things and make up a better story? Yeah, I love it. It's something that I'm working on a lot. <laughs> it's not always easy. Like, no. <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's often not easy. And I certainly don't go, oh, no, I'm fine. I just believe everyone thinks amazing things about me yeah, yeah. at all. But I just constantly remind myself, like, Ray, remember your brain is so powerful. Use yeah. it. Use it for good yeah. rather than evil. Um, I also wanted to ask you about something we've talked about in the Facebook group. It's mm. about um, sort of everything leading you to where you need to be. So when you've ended up in a bit of a rubbish situation, like mm. financially or you're fed up with your life, but you get to that point where you're just like, no, I'm done. I'm done. And it's yeah. actually a good thing. Yes. Yeah. So I get really, I annoy my clients because I get really excited when they come on and they're like, I'm really fed up with this or I just hate this. And I'm like, yes, this is so good. Because the whole, you know, talking about why I started my business, I, we were in a real financial hole. And I, one of the reasons I took the leap, which I should have mentioned earlier, was that I was done. I was done with that fear of the washing machine break and us not being like, what would we do if that happened? Or our car breaking, what would we do? Like all of those fears around not having the money that I wanted our family to have. And I was just done with the panic around it. And I've been done in various ways since (laughs) and before, but, but increasingly like, I'll just like, like, I think I was done with worrying about what people thought about me. Mm. Um, And that often is the bit, like when you're frustrated and fed up, you're very, very close to feeling a lot of amazing feelings because you're letting go, you're detaching from, you know, what the what ifs, which are a huge thing. You know, what if I launch this business and nothing happens? And and it's like, well, yeah, nothing, you know, it's, I mean, I do always say like, you're in control of that. Like you can keep trying different approaches, but you know what will ensure nothing happens? Not doing it. Mm. <laughs> Like you're getting the same. So you're ensuring that your fear happens by not stepping into what you want to do. Your fear is that no one will like it. No one will like it if they don't know about it. So I can't remember what your original question was now. I can't remember either. But (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I just I think, yeah, sometimes it's it's like reframe when you look back you can see those moments in your life where you know at that point you couldn't take it anymore it kind of gave you that freedom somehow unlock the freedom to like well oh what does it matter I'm just going to do it because I'm done with everything else so those little things holding you back suddenly they 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 go away a little bit yeah absolutely and I think Um, there was a a talk I heard a while ago where a guy said, and I can never remember who it was, um, but he said that he thinks that real change only comes from trauma. And um, I certainly think what we went through in 2016 was was like a trauma in our relationship and in our financial situation. 
um and that led to a massive change in us and that was very much that like I am done and when I shared that in the group this is quite a long time ago a lot of people said that they felt like potentially motherhood was a trauma (laughs) (laughs) and I kind of get like because your very sense of who you are changes like your foundations change the way you spend every day changes and um, I think that can lead to people doing a very much like you know what I'm done in so many ways as can you know all the stuff we've heard around um, how women are feeling in the last um, year or two with the Me Too movement or with the discussions around um, equal pay. Um, there's been a lot of movement amongst women and women's circles of people just being like, I'm done with this now. Yeah. And I think that can have a similar effect. I definitely feel like it since having my baby. It's just, mm. I don't know, something's clicked and yeah. I've got to change. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think that there is something in that. Like, I don't think everybody needs a baby for it to happen. No, definitely. But not. for some of us, do. Like, yeah. I think I did. Um, you know, it was a real like, how do I want them to see me? Um, and maybe that's I don't know. We could probably delve into that. Maybe it's about self esteem and all sorts mm. of things of being able to live for someone else. Um, not that you should live for them, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Sort of you, your your existence impacts someone else in a different way. Um, yeah. So it's a real changing point for lots of people. Right. So before we go, I'm going to ask you a couple of parting questions. Okay. The first one is, what is something that you like about yourself? Where to start? (laughs) (laughs) So funny because I used to, I mean, I can't explain how much I didn't like myself. Um, When I was certainly when I was a teenager, even in my 20s, I used to have real almost tantrums about it. Um, What do I like about? I like, I like, um, I like my honesty. I like my sense of humor. I am convinced I'm funnier than my husband. It's a constant argument we have. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, there's, I just, I like myself. I can't really, <laughs> I kind of, you know, there's bits I don't like. And I think acknowledging that all good personality traits generally come with a not so great one attached to them yeah. is really useful. Um, I like, yeah, I just, I, I think, do you know what I'm going to go with? I like my capacity to change. Mm, that's a good one. That's what I'm going to go with, because I think that's made a real difference. I'm really curious about the way we respond to things and the way humans um, interact and react and and our capacity to change. And I think that's something that has helped me all along to be more and more myself. So in a way, I haven't changed, but I've taken off a lot of layers of nonsense um, over the years and kind of got back to who I am. So I've I enjoy and find very exhausting my capacity to change and evolve. Okay, second question. Who is your go-to person for advice? I have, because you sent me this earlier, I have so many. Um, My husband, Hannah, uh, who is Hannah Bullivant, who is, um, well, she's called Hannah Bullivant on Instagram these days. But yeah, so she is my sister-in-law. So I would talk to her a lot. I've got an amazing group of women in my town. There's 10 of us that, we're all mums and we met through being mums and we chat a lot on Facebook and we meet up when we can. It's really hard for us to all meet up. So I go to them a lot. Yeah. And, and obviously my coach as well and my clients. Like often I go to my clients and say, what do you think about this? And what, how does this idea make you feel? So that's particularly my group clients and my one-to-one clients. Like they become kind of a, a different circle of people to me. So I am an oversharer essentially. <laughs> so I'll go to anybody. Um, it's just loads my dad my stepmom my aunt that's really <laughs> interesting like, though because yeah. I'm I feel like I'm 
an undersharer. <laughs> like I don't go to people enough and yeah. I need to go to people more. And I mean, it's so important that you have all those people around you that you can go to. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think that's learned. When I was younger, I found it really hard to talk to people and ask for help. And I think in some ways, sometimes I do find that hard. But now it just all spills out of me. It's almost like I've got no in between. <laughs> when I was younger, I didn't say anything about anything. And now I'm like, like, just constantly talking about my ideas or my thoughts or whatever it is. So yeah, it's it's I think this is what's interesting. And my sister in law Hannah says this a lot. She's like, I wish people could meet you. So I've known her since she since she was 17 and I was 19. She's like, I wish they could meet old you. Because yeah. <laughs> I was so different. Like it's hard to communicate. And when I tell people they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah. That's really yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a learnt thing. Okay, so where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? They can follow me on Instagram. So I'm Ray underscore Dodd, I think, on Instagram. Or they can join my Facebook group, which is um, Finding Your Space in Business and Beyond. Um, And they're the main places. I go live on Instagram and on Facebook most days. um, And that's the best place to kind of get to know me and see if what I do is something that you like. And if it's not, that's fine. (laughs) I'm fine with that. My self-worth will be fine. I personally recommend the group. It's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, Ray. You're welcome. That was lovely. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Creatively Human. It would really help me and the podcast if you could take a moment to review, rate and subscribe. I'd also really love to hear from you on Instagram at Ruth Poundwhite, where I like to get a bit philosophical about online business. And you can find me on my website, ruthpoundwhite.com where you can read the episode show notes, subscribe to my behind the scenes newsletter, or read more about my own experience of running a creative online business.